<laughs> Happy Christmas. Welcome to the Homo Sapiens Christmas Special, listeners. And I'm not going to do what we've done every other Christmas. I'm not going to say the ho 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 my sapiens christmas special i'm not going to do it because you know what sometimes you've got to move on we've got to we've got to move on with our brand you know what i mean we've got to be fresh we've got to be new we've got to think of another slogan for our christmas special what would that be homo sapiens reindeers rudolph it's a work in progress. <clears throat> what a special episode we've got for you this week. So many things going on. We're hearing about your Christmases. How are your Christmases? What is it like for you going home for Christmas? Do you spend it with family? How do you spend it? Do you look forward to it? What's it like for LGBTQ plus people to do Christmas? So we've got loads of your voice notes coming up and loads of really fascinating stories and your Christmas disasters, funny ones only. Uh, some really funny bits and bobs from the lot of you. I cannot wait for you to hear those. And um, guest this week is the one and only Andrew Garfield, aka Spider-Man, aka international Hollywood superstar. So he is in a new film uh, which portrays the life of Jonathan Larson. If you remember, Jonathan Larson was the creator of the incredible music musical Rent, um, which is an amazing story about being sort of young queer people living as young artists in New York and it kind of took the world by storm but it is such a sad story because Jonathan Larson he was a massive LGBTQ plus ally he kind of tried to lift up the LGBTQ plus community he was New York in the 80s answer to Jade Thurwell from Little Mix um and he was an incredible ally and they have made a film about his life and it's called Tick Tick Boom and it sort of details the story of before he became this massive star and Andrew Garfield is starring in it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's a musical full of original songs and Andrew is utterly brilliant and there's an incredible cast of of sub- supporting cast like Vanessa Hudgens, Alexandra Ship, Robin De Jesus, MJ Rodriguez, previous guest, serious business people. So we're going to be talking to Andrew and we're going to be talking to him about what his Christmas is like and we're going to be talking all about the life of Jonathan Larson, this man who created this show that was so kind of seminal for LGBT people at the time and still is, you know. People say that Rent changed Broadway and it was one of the kind of earlier portrayals of queer people on stage. So Jonathan Larson is a fascinating man and Andrew's portrayal of him is very interesting. Oh my God, so should they make Jade from Little Mix the movie? Can you imagine? Um, Hang on, I'm a director. I could direct it. What am I doing sitting here? Um, I'm talking to you because it's our Christmas special, listeners, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Now, how's my week been? Well, as you remember last week, I was talking about going to sort of warp speed seven on Christmas decorations. Well, you know, sort of holding myself back. So I've done... I probably purchased too many LED uh, battery-operated LED light uh, strings that I'm going to string around trees in the garden because it makes me really happy and they're really cool because you put four AA batteries in them and then you string it around a tree and then when you just press this button on it and it um it will be on for six hours and then off for 18 so at night they just suddenly illuminate in the garden and it looks so pretty and makes me feel it just feels really cozy 
And uh, I will take a, a moment to say that any of you who are suffering from COVID or have got family and friends uh, unwell with this new strain or any kind of strain of COVID, um, sending you a big ton of love at Christmas, because that's what Christmas is about, is sending love. And I hope everybody is as safe and well as they can be. And let's try and have a little bit of cheer today to maybe be the foil to Boris and all those Christmas parties. He's probably having one now. Is that libelous? Is there a lawyer? Have we got a lawyer? Have we got a homo sapiens lawyer? Have I just been sued? I don't know. There was that piece on Instagram about how Barbara Broccoli, the producer of Bond, had said, you know, maybe um, Bond could be non-binary. I just threw it out to you all and said, what do you think? And it had such a massive response of people... It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it it sort of runs deep, this stuff, for LGBT people. Because you sort of feel like... I'll read you out what people said. Firstly, I'll say, when I read that, I was like, tsk, like that. Like, oh, God, you know. I don't know why I felt like that, but I did. It feels like if someone says it, then they absolutely don't have to do anything about it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, are you really going to do that? And you know, they absolutely should. And I I think they should. I think we should broaden who Bond is. But also we should, you know, one of the things that someone else said is like, we should also have other villain. Oh, villain. He's not a villain, is he? He's a spy. Obviously, I'm a massive fan. Uh, And, you know, we should have other portrayals of these kinds of people that are, you know, we don't have to make Bond non-binary. Why don't we make a spy just as big as Bond and they're non-binary, you know? But BBD Cratton had a very funny joke, which I thought was great. Bond's pronouns are they, them, they, which I just thought was hysterical. Um, Jojo Matthews was into it, though. They just wrote, yes. Alex Jacobs says, the cynic in me thinks that people really will say anything for a clickbait headline. Ishko said, yes, please. We need a non-binary superstar to show the world who we are. Absolutely. Reese Sebastian said, brah, that's not going to happen. LBR, it's bait. This is when I feel old and I feel like I should know what LBR means. Um, let's be real. There we go. See, caught it, caught it. Sam says, why not create a new iconic spy? Why fit LGBT into an old box? Oh, well, there you go. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Thank you, Samuel. Um, Freddie Steady Go says, the franchise is filled to the brim with sexist, racist, ableist, imperialist shit. Just give us an original trans character. Thank you, Freddie. David Brady says an empty comment said out loud to keep the hubbub of the recent film going. Mm. After Chloe Jason just has lots of emojis that tell me that Jason thinks, nah. Now, what did you say in your messages? Alex, in all seriousness, I feel like these conversations are getting quite cyclical. Thinking specifically about the reactions, not just to this news, but also when Jodie Whittaker was cast as Doctor Who, for example. It's hard not to feel like this is just outrage or culture wars concocted by the media. Would also like to say that I haven't read the article and so can't assess how much the headline is clickbait versus what the producer actually said. I also understand the need for representation, particularly with well-known characters, but I feel like James Bond has such a history of misogyny, sexism, toxic, toxic, toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity would be, it sort of sounds like an Italian toast dish, um, associated with the character. Can't they just create non-binary heroes who are just as gripping, but model less harmful behaviour? I agree with you Alex but it really got under your skin keep telling us what you think but I think what we're saying is we want our own queer heroes aka 
queries. Before we get stuck in, did you listen to last week's episode with Sean Fay? A really deep chat. I love Sean. Let us know what you thought of that. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Get in touch. Get in touch. Get in touch. Stay connected with all of your LGBTQ plus needs and desires. It's at Homo Sapiens on Instagram. It's at Homo Sapiens Podcast on Facebook. Remember that? Remember Facebook? It's like TikTok, but still. Let's talk to you all about Christmas. I'm really interested about Christmas, what it means for LGBTQ plus people. So we did a couple of polls. We said to you, do you spend Christmas with your family? 80% of you said yes. 20% of you said no. Now what that probably means is that 20% of you are having a sort of friendsmas, which I am a big fan of. And actually, so is Andrew Garfield, as you're about to discover later on in our interview. I, by the way, spend it with my family, always. And I feel very, very blessed that we're a very harmonious bunch. I've got to say that because they're listening. The second question was, do you love it or do you dread it? 63% of you love it. So just over half. 37% of you dread it. Sibau has been in touch with an amazing story about changing their wardrobe when they go home. I'm not in the closet. My family and parents uh, know about me and, and my partner, but... It's having to uh, talk to individuals who are fairly homophobic, but love me nonetheless, as, in, as, a, as a son, as a, as a sibling. It's more of um, getting back into the closet for me at Christmas is it's about clothing. And I feel like I've been dressing like I've been since I've been 17, 18 for, for the last 15 Christmases, uh, which is less and less true for the rest of my yeah, so I think uh, it'd be good to to see if guests and listeners have, have got that problem as well. It's just keeping a set of family-appropriate clothes that's been the same, polo wear and slightly polo flooring-ish, which is not at all what I wear on a daily basis. But it seems to be family, gender, Christmas-appropriate. So, hey, we keep that outfit. Just fascinating about how we all play roles in our families don't we the fact that you're putting on that outfit that you spend that you put on every time you go home is about fitting into the family's idea of who you are there can be a comfort in that like I don't think there's in any sense that you should have to change who you are at all it's about and thank you very much for sending your voice note but I think that there is it's not a comfort I don't mean it feels good I mean we can easily slip back into roles with families and it's very hard to fight them and it's very hard to announce a new you in any respect. If you can relate to that story about having the clothes they like Sibel asked for, please write in, let us know. Um, One of the questions I asked, which I knew was very pertinent for lots of you, was when you go back home for Christmas, do you have to go back in the closet? Now, fortunately, 79% of you said no, but 21% of you did say that very sadly you do have to go back into the closet when you go home for Christmas. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I've got a very interesting voice note from AJ, actually. It's almost like his parents decide for him that he goes back in the closet, which I actually hadn't considered when I asked the question. I have to go back in the closet when I go home uh, because when I came out, it was kind of decided for me that we weren't going to tell the grandparents on both sides. They're quite devout Catholics. So when I go home, I get the classic questions kind of about 
do you have any girlfriends, which I constantly have to swerve. Um, so it's not really a horror story, but I guess it just creates a much narrower relationship with my grandparents. And I think also because I'm around, like we're all around each other all the time with the rest of my family, it creates a narrower relationship with everyone because they also have to kind of join in the lie when we're all together. Yeah, it just makes me a bit sad knowing I can't have the full relationship that, say, my brother has with them about him and his long-term girlfriend or if they're buying a house. Um, like, I know that I'll never be able to have that with them. We won't be able to celebrate all parts of my life together. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a bit sad, really. Hey, Jay, I'm sorry to hear that. You sort of become this 2D version of who you are. It's not right. It's really funny with families, isn't it? Because we sort of force ourselves to be, it's a bit like the clothes thing again, like to be a muted form of ourselves when all together, because there's a fear that if we're our real selves, we're not going to work. And we have to work because we're a family. And I get that. And I get how I used to mute myself. And I'm sure I still do. We're not all, you know, me and my sister are hysterical at Christmas. Like, we totally, whenever we're together, we always just revert to being the teenagers we were. And we're, like, literally two two steps away from being like, Mum, she totally took my, you know, mince pie. She can have it, to be quite frank. Um, not a fan of mince pies. But it's, um, yeah, it, it's that thing about, you know, trying to make the the family is like the most important thing this bigger structure and the group and I just think it's not fair you know you should be able to be who you are AJ maybe we should do a big homo sapiens Christmas thing one day when we're not constantly being locked indoors I mean are we locked indoors I can't even tell ah love banana rama the person has also done us a voice note I think there are stereotypes um, at Christmas. I think there are roles that people have in in the in the home. If you don't fit that role because you're a little bit different, then it, I think it's just an awkward situation potentially. And we all feel that pressure to be with our family, whether you get on with your family or not at Christmas time. And I think. Whilst everybody has that, not everybody is subjected to a barrage of awkward questions about your sexuality um, in a completely inappropriate way. So, yeah, I do think it's different, <laughs> different for LGBTQ+. One of the interesting things as well to consider is what LGBTQ plus children must feel at Christmas time. Because if you're a child and you want a makeup kit and you're mum and dad think you shouldn't have one because you identify as a boy, then that can have long-lasting effects. The assumption that boys should only play with boys' toys and girls should only play with girls' toys, I, I think is troubling and it still exists. Very interesting that things about... When you're talking there about the the toys and stuff and everything that we've been listening to... It feels like identity comes to a head over Christmas, whether that's, you know, people asking, oh, have you got a girlfriend? Have you got a boyfriend? Who, you know, what, you know, what's going on with you? You know, everyone sort of has to turn up with their story, don't they? And if you're being asked to say a version that isn't true, that's not nice. And you, there's shame in that. And we should have no shame in how we live our lives whatsoever. The other thing I will say, 
which is radical and might be unpopular is someone said this to me once and I thought it was amazing because I'm very lucky my family get on well and all of that and Christmas is really nice but if you don't want to you don't have to spend Christmas with your family you can do a friendsmas and lots of people do it and you spend time with your chosen family which I think is quite a you know specifically queer thing as well spend time to celebrate with people who you feel like celebrating your true self you should never have to feel I saw this thing on Instagram but like if you find yourself editing yourself around people friends this post was about then they're not your people and I know it's different with family but it is an option and sometimes they make out like it's not an option and I think that you you can do you can do your own version of Christmas in the way you're doing your own version of life and it is absolutely completely right and I'd quite like to start a campaign which is like Christmas can be whatever you want it to be I also think it doesn't have to be the best day of your life quite frankly because anything you try and make the best day of your life I'm gonna say it it never is the best stuff is the most relaxed stuff the most impromptu stuff now what else we asked you is have you ever had a funny funny emphasis on the funny disaster over Christmas Robert I (laughs) I was outed during a game of articulate to my entire extended family by my best friend oh my god Robert what So I was allowed to bring my first boyfriend to Christmas. My parents hadn't spoken to me for three years since coming out. Oh, Robert, I'm sorry to hear that. This was their big, we are trying to understand olive branch. But I was asked not to tell my grandparents such a theme here today, listeners and friends of the family. I was asked to tell everyone that he was just a friend. I brought a girl best friend for support. The word I had to articulate was house to my then boyfriend. My gal pal could steal the word if she guessed it. As I was articulating, I stupidly said to my boyfriend as his clue, me and you are in a dot 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 while pointing to the houses. My best friend screamed, a relationship. You're in a relationship. And my parents were raging. My Christian grandparents confused. Christmas was ruined. Oh my God, Robert. That is like a, literally a scene out of a film. And do you know what? It's so funny as well. Like I always feel like, you know, grandparents confused and then, you kind of think, I don't know, with grandparents, I always think they pretend they don't understand stuff when they actually do. But they've got that wonderful, cannot wait for this time in my life, should I be lucky enough to get there, where you can just pretend that you don't understand. You can slightly check out. I bet they knew the whole thing that was going on. What I just also want to know what you said to your friend after that. That is so funny craig um craig's got a greedy member of the family when my mum craig remembers when my mum's husband ate all the custard we still haven't forgiven him six years later you do, you shouldn't forgive him craig enter stage left kirsty one of our delightful listeners who um <clears throat> i'm gonna say it kirsty it's been a little more dis- this is probably <laughs> this is probably one of the uh more hijink stories i've heard in a while. Let's have a listen, Kirsty. Merry Christmas, lovely Homo sapiens bunch. Okay, so Christmas, I think I was 15. There was many, many family members of different generations on Boxing Day, and we decided to go to the pub for a few drinks. So bearing in mind, I was 15, but I was allowed to have a couple of drinks. Um, I overheard my dad chatting with the men about something I didn't like. I don't know what it was now. But from nowhere, probably 
teenage hormones, I just slapped him around the face, full pelt. It made a noise. It was very EastEnders. Everyone looked around. And my cousin from Bristol said, I better go and call off. So I did. Um, and this was before really sort of having a mobile all the time. So I just wandered around aimlessly for a, an hour and calmed down <laughs> before having to sit and have dinner with everyone um, for Boxing Day evening. <laughs> Kirsty, I mean, listen. First things first, here at Homo Sapiens, we never condone violence. Violence is not the answer, but I get it. He pushed you. I love that you're saying that he he was talking about something that you didn't like, the men. Well, you know, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouths, but I think we have all had ringside seats to some strange old conversations that go on uh, at Christmas. And it's a real clashing together of people with different views on the world. And yet we all have to share turkey or vegan option together and get along harmoniously and then also portray it as having a laugh. I have decided, and I love my family dearly, but they're all coming to me this Christmas. I have made a slight decision with myself that it's going to be 50% work because you're hosting. You've got to do loads of stuff. And, you know, you're not going to be sitting on the sofa much because you're going to be filling glasses with, you know, eggnog. Never drink eggnog myself. Anyway, Kirsty, that is very, very funny. Thank you so much. Ben says, my nan texting me if I could help her and granddad with the Christmas sex instead of the Christmas decks. <laughs> well, you never know. Maybe that's what maybe that's what granddad was getting for Christmas. You'll never know, Ben. So Rebecca's been in touch. Hi, Team HS. Your question about Christmas made me laugh and immediately think back to a time before I was out to my family. Every year we had the usual intrusive aunts and their prying questions while they stayed with us for the holiday season. So funny, isn't it? They... There's always a prying aunt, isn't there? Asking questions, sticking their beaks in. Uh, or an uncle, you know, um, and their prying questions. Uh, this year in particular, I had been having drinks with my friends and my girlfriend. And upon arriving home, had my aunt conduct the usual Christmas interview. What am I making of my life? And if I didn't hurry up and make X, Y, Z choice correctly, I would never find a husband. They make so many assumptions, these sticky beaks, don't they? What if you don't want a husband? Gay, straight, whatever. And in an effort to avoid it, I ended up having far too much drink with my brother. Ah, now, I can relate. Drink to get away from the problem. That's what happens at Christmas. That night, I not only came out drunkenly to some of my family. I love this, Rebecca. I made an absolute show of myself. Ah, Rebecca, I love it. Go down in flames, that's all I say. I now attend family Christmas with my fiancé. Ah, that's lovely and circular that now you can go back with your fiancé and you're out but still every year my drunken state is brought up well that's family for you they'll rib you in an effort to avoid drawing attention to myself i did the complete opposite i'm gonna say it rebecca somebody had to call it it was you you really did but i love it rebecca and good on you good on you for going down in flames in general says rebecca i find christmas brings out toxic gender roles for men and women and heteronormative couples I agree. It's funny because it's a big old institution, Christmas, and it's very traditional, literally. Uh, and I think that that makes people behave in very traditional ways. And I don't like it. That's why we can make up our own. That's what's brilliant about being queer. You can do whatever the hell you want. and Nobody's allowed to tell you any different. The question for you, listeners, is would it even be a Christmas special if we didn't hear from our wonderful listener, Steve? Christmas is one of my favourite times of the year. The shoplifting is absolutely phenomenal. The security guards are looking at everyone except the middle-aged chubby queer who is walking out a stone heavier than they came in. 
Oh, they look up joy in your friends' faces when they open their presents and they say, oh, you shouldn't have. And I say, girl, you deserve it. I couldn't have got through this year without you, babe. I wanted to treat you. Speaking of which, sometimes when queers go in for Christmas back to those little towns that spat them out like eggs showing an omelette, you can feel like you're at the scan and go checkout with your bag of life full of unscanned items and the security guards looking at you. You soon find out that your parents never got round to explaining your Kate Bush, Madonna and Cinder Lauper posters to. They're staring at you suspiciously, but no one wants to talk about that pink elephant in the room. Once a relative asked me who I was, and when I told them, they said, no one's ever really mentioned you. So if you're going this Christmas and it's too much, just tell them you've been bouncing on Russell T. Davis. Right, I've got to go. I've got some shopping to do in Cotton Garden. If you see me running, I can't stop. <laughs> Steve. Well, listen, you know, Kirsty's kirsty has been slapping people. Steve's been shoplifting. You're a bunch of criminals, listeners, and boy, do I love it. Uh, I love your eggshell and an omelette analogy. Uh, It hadn't occurred to me till now that that's exactly what I was as I queued for the (laughs) sports bus in lower West Barnes Lane. That's where we used to play sports at my school. And uh, suddenly felt like eggshell and an omelette because I didn't feel very welcome. That is so funny, Steve. Uh, thank you. And what I'm going to say, listeners, is thank you so much for writing in all those notes, A. And B, I personally am here for you over Christmas. So feel free to get in touch at Homo Sapiens on Instagram, hello at homosapienspodcast.com. If you're not having fun with your family and if you're going in the closet, know that you've got this here podcast to be your true authentic self over the Christmas period. We've got brilliant, lovely episodes over the whole break. I cannot wait for you to listen to them. And just stay in touch. Next week, we're bringing in the new year with Mossin Saidi, who is an amazing writer who's written a book called A Dutiful Boy, which is about being a queer Muslim young man. So let me pull it off the shelf and I can read it to you. Dutiful Boy, a memoir of a gay Muslim's journey to acceptance. But actually, he tells us very interestingly how that changed over the course of it being released into paperback. Afua Hirsch, no less, calls it an emotional rollercoaster, heartfelt, heartbreaking, and yet funny. Oh, it's just a brilliant book. And I love him. And the whole detail of what it is to be a gay Muslim is communicated so beautifully with this book and he's a really lovely man and he does amazing stuff and does stuff for stonewall in fact so activist and a wonderful writer love him so he's next week's episode but before all of that let's go and have a chat with the delightful andrew garfield we're going to be hearing all about his christmas we're going to be hearing all about tick tick boom he is absolutely brilliant in it if you're a john larson fan if you're a musicals fan if you're a fan of rent any of the above or a fan of a good a really good musical film. You've got to watch it. Here's Andrew Garfield for our Christmas special listeners. Thank you for having me, Chris. This is lovely. It is really lovely. <laughs> but I will say that I've also just had my booster jab and a mm-hmm. flu jab about an hour ago. So if oh. I melt at any point, <laughs> if I pass out at any time, just knock hard on the screen and we'll... Um... But what I do want to say is a massive congratulations on this film. Oh, thank uh, you. It's extraordinary. And you are extraordinary and, you know, the whole cast are. But, you know, you just became Jonathan Larson. And how was that? You know, I just think you took on this fluidity that he has. Mm. And was that a a physical fluidity? I mean, Mm -hmm. was that Mm -hmm. something you studied a lot? Well, thank you for saying that. Um, You know, it was one of those projects where as soon as I started to immerse myself in all things John and his life in mm. you know meeting the people that 
he he left behind his sister, his friends, other family members. Uh, you know, watching him perform Boho Days, the rock monologue that then turned into Tick Tick Boom. There's an amazing like VHS, grainy VHS kind mm-hmm. of uploaded copy of that on YouTube for anyone who's interested. And it's it's him doing the one man show singing for his life you know and uh it really is it really does feel like that singing for his life for the life of his own inner artistry for the and for the life and beginning to sing for the lives of the people around him to be the advocate that he started to become while i think um in the kind of rubble of superbia not getting produced Mm. i think he had to really reassess how to live his life as he allowed the kind of the heartbreak and the the agony and the injustice of everything that he was witnessing and and feeling on on behalf and with the, the his friends in the LGBTQI plus community mm. with the AIDS with the AIDS epidemic, um, you know, once he started to let in the true gravity and loss of um, his friends, all of his friends and everyone that that was HIV positive, and then uh, uh, so many of his friends who had dying at such a young age, I think that th- this show, Tick, Tick, Boom, became a kind of ritual for them and for mm. him and for an awareness, a kind of a ritual to remind him and everyone around him of the shortness, sacredness and sanctity of life and to ask that, that very, very pressing question of how are we going to spend our time? Um, so, so, so to answer your question, you know, for me, I... I woke up every morning as soon as I started to, you know, Lynn introduced me to who Jonathan Larson was and I had a year to prepare and then we were rehearsing and then we were shooting and then we shut down and we came back to shooting and then we, you know, <laughs> we went away and then we came back and we did, um, we did an extra, extra shooting and now I get to talk to people about him. And every morning it's like I get to wake up and I get to devote myself at the altar of Jonathan Larson and all that he was mm. and all that he stood for and all that he symbolized and how he lived, his ethics, his awareness of you know, the things that bind us. And so for me, it was only this kind of privileged feeling that I had waking up and I still have it now talking to you. And in terms of his physical fluidity, you know, it was more like he was so alive because mm. of this awareness that he had, because of this ticking. And as we know, the fact that he he passed away at the age of 35 from from a, from a heart, from an aortic aneurysm, his, his heart was too big for this world in a way. Mm. Um, and I, I do have my th- an instinct to kind of an idea that really kind of drove my interpretation and my portrayal of John was that unconsciously somewhere he knew. Somewhere mm-hmm, he knew really? that he, he, yeah, somewhere he knew that he really, really truly didn't have a lot of time. And I find that really moving. And because and, otherwise, you know, I mean, there's something so terribly tragically synchronicitous about him dying on the on the night before he was about to receive his flowers the night before he was about to get the harvest of, of all the seeds he'd been planting mm. and all the rejection he'd been going through all of the you know and then the night before the first preview of rent off broadway he didn't get to mm. see it he didn't get to see an audience respond and i find that to be tragic but also deeply moving the fact that he woke up every morning anyway and sat at the piano and Mm. sang his song in the face of rejection and um kind of a a forbidding culture so i you know it it was uh it was a privilege to honor this very very pure artist yeah it's funny that isn't it because it's almost like um 
so for anyone who doesn't know, you know, like Jonathan Larson is probably most famous for Rent, but he never got to see its success. And that feels quite synonymous with a lot of like the great artists, painters back in the day and composers and stuff, you know, like they died before they knew what they'd achieved. Right. And I felt when you said that you thought that he knew, I think that's really interesting because I thought there was when I was having a little Google about Marfan syndrome, which is why he died, it was yeah. to do with an extra ability to, it's uh, hyperextended limbs and things. And in a way it was staring everyone in the face all along. Like the way right. that he moved actually was the clue. Right. Interesting. Yet, you know, yet he yeah. didn't know. And there's a sort of, I don't know. I just thought it was sort of uh, poignant, I suppose. Yeah. And he, and, he, and he couldn't help it. I think he couldn't help, but live that way. There was something that he was haunted by. He was haunted by his own giftedness, the, the, mm. the, the, his own genius, you know, the, the, the genius that had been bestowed upon him by the gods, by the gods of theater and art mm. and music. You know, he, 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 he couldn't sleep much at night because he was woken up in the middle of the night by melody, by, by lyrics, by ideas, by uh, ambition, by love, by all these things. He, mm. he, it was like, it reminds me of, um, I think it was, you know, you know, Carl Jung, the great, um, psychoanalyst and, and psychologist that too was haunted and, and created so much of our, you know, theory of how to look at the psyche of, of, of human beings. And at a certain point, he just told the gods no more. <laughs> and they came, they came at, it was like he was in his sixties or seventies at this point. He, I think he had just finished writing the red book or he was just about to finish the red book. And which was one of his great tome masterpieces that was full of, you know, dream images and symbology and archetype and mythology and he, he, a real exploration of the deep soul and psyche. Available on Amazon. Available on Amazon right now. <laughs> and then, and then, and then he, he came in and, and so he said, he said to the gods, he, he said to his psyche, he said to his unconscious, he said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. That night he had this incredibly terrifying nightmare. Like his psyche was like, you think you're done with us? You, we let you know when we're done with you. And then the next morning, he was like I he, he was like I he, he woke up and he was like hey I know what you're doing I know your games now I, I'm not scared of you anymore I'm done I'm not going to do your bidding anymore he had a dream the next night and it was like okay well we'll barter with you do one more thing and then we'll leave you alone that was that wow yeah it's kind of wild That's the end of our lovely part one. What a lovely chat with Andrew we're having. There's more of that to come. In part two, we're going to be talking further with Andrew, including tackling grandma with an agony uncle, Christmas plans, and we're kicking off with a strange old story about how this whole Tick Tick Boom film started with a chat on a massage table, as you do. So go back to the feed and have a listen to part two. Powered by Spirit Studios.